Join me on March 14th as I'm joined by Condé Nast Traveller's senior editor, Megan Spirell, to share a behind-the-scenes peek into the making of our Women Who Travel Power list. But there's so much more waiting for you in the full article. From film directors to war journalists to wildlife ecologists, these women are reshaping the travel landscape and leaving a lasting impact on the world. Tune in to hear why Megan and myself are so excited about the 15 women we've chosen to highlight. Subscribe to cntraveler.com today to access the complete list and be inspired by their incredible journeys. And for a limited time, our listeners can unlock everything Traveller has to offer for just $5. Simply use code POD5, that's P-O-D-5, at checkout to access exclusive travel insights, breathtaking destinations, and invaluable tips to fuel your adventure spirit. All for just $5. And remember, every adventure starts with just one step. Join us in celebrating the power of women in travel. Visit cntraveler.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises... When is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Vali Arakoglu. Hello! When we were planning for this week's episode, we thought we all might need a little warm weather inspiration, but little did we know we'd be recording in mid-November with 75 degree temperatures. Granted, we will take every bit of sunshine our guest Nika Miller brings. Nika is calling in from her lanai on Hawaii's beautiful Oahu, and this week we're chatting with her about everything it takes to be a professional surfer and stand-up paddleboarder. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to share my story with everyone. (laughs) So as someone who grew up in the center of a city and firmly surrounded by concrete, I'm very interested to know what your relationship with water in the ocean was growing up, because I'm sure it's very different from mine. Yeah, so I'm actually half Black, half Mexican, and I was raised with my Mexican side of the family. And my mom, actually, she never learned how to swim. So she always felt really sad and really, like, left out and just embarrassed, you know, every time they would go to the ocean or the pool. So she was really adamant when she had kids, me and my brother, that she made sure we knew how to swim. So she actually had me in little kids swim classes um, before I could actually walk, like the little toddler classes. So I feel like I've had such a deep connection to the water since I was a baby, mainly because of my mom. And I, you know, she'd take us to the beach all the time, me and my brother. And um yeah, I just really enjoy it. I love it a lot. And like I said, mainly because of her. 
You didn't grow up in Hawaii. So how did you get into surfing? So I I lived in uh, Michigan and Texas growing up. And then I got into surfing on Texas side with my friends. Uh, They were not very good at all. We were, they're just like one day like, Hey, let's go surfing. And they're like, Oh, okay, sure. Why not? Like I was pretty um, adventurous. I like to do anything. Um, I always love to try new things. And so we went out and it was a disaster. I mean, at that time, I didn't know any better. I was just like, oh, awesome. I'm surfing. Like, this is like, yeah, I'm so good. Like, so we were just out there and they were just kind of coaching me like, oh, anytime you see a wave coming, just paddle and stand up. And I didn't really know exactly what I was looking for, but I'd just be like, oh, is this a wave? And they'd be like, yeah, 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 paddle, paddle. So I'd paddle and I'd try to stand up and I'd fall. And I remember I was out there for probably like an hour and probably towards the end of the session, I caught a wave and the wave just like was pulling my board along. And I just remember in that moment being like, oh, okay, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And when I was actually riding on the wave, I tried to stand up and I stood up for like a second or maybe two seconds at most. And I fell down. But I just remember being so excited that I finally caught a legit wave and just feeling so happy and such a sense of accomplishment. And I just remember being like, wow, I just really want to keep doing this. I want to get better. I've always been a pretty competitive person growing up. um, And I've always done a lot of sports. I was a lacrosse player. I was a runner. So I just remember thinking like, oh, I just want to keep doing it. I want to go out every day until I get better and better. And when I moved to Hawaii, I actually got a scholarship to run cross country and track at University of Hawaii. When I first came here, I was more focused on running because being at a, a school that's in the NCA Division One, that's really strict. And when you're here on scholarship, you're, they're pretty focused on you concentrating on that sport. Like if you're here for running or volleyball or whatever, you know, like you're there for that sport. You're not here to go do all these other things. So that was my main focus, but I just kind of just started falling out of love with it a little bit. And being here in Hawaii, it's just such a lifestyle to be surrounded by the ocean and surfing and just being at the beach all day long. And I just remember after class or when I had longer breaks in between, I would go down to Waikiki Beach and I started getting to know the beach boys down there um, and hanging out with them. And they would let me use surfboards for free. So I would just go out and practice surfing anytime I had a chance to. And that's how I got a lot better too. Cause many people ask me like, Oh, do you have a coach or, you know, how did you like now you're, you compete on the world tour, all this stuff. And I credit most of it to being here in Hawaii and just the competition level is so high. And I remember when I started coming out here, like I said, I still pretty much was a beginner. I wasn't that good. So I would just watch people in the lineup and just try to pick out the best surfer and just kind of watch where they sat and kind of watch what they like did on the waves or what waves they try to catch. And then I would kind of just like copy them and just trying to like do what they did. Cause like I said, growing up doing sports my whole life, I pretty much know what, like what a good athlete looks like, you know? So it wasn't hard to be like, figure out like, okay, that's what a real, that's a really good surfer right there. Like I need to do what they're doing. You describe the wealth of talented and professional surfers in Hawaii. And I imagine that as a beginner, it could be quite intimidating, but it sounds like that wasn't necessarily the case for you. Do you feel like the kind of surf community just sort of embraces anyone? um, And that's how you started to 
kind of grow as a surfer and improve? Well, for me, I was really lucky in a way because coming to Hawaii, it's such a diverse place. And honestly, a lot of people thought I was already local, that I was just born and raised here because I kind of have that a little bit like that Hawaiian look with my hair being really like poofy and wavy and with my darker skin and my light eyes. So a, a lot of people already treated me really nicely. And just in general, people in Hawaii have so much aloha and so much love. And it's just, it's a little bit different than the mainland where it's more fast paced, where it's not like getting to know one another here. It's a lot more caring about your neighbor and just, don't get me wrong, being on the mainland, there's caring people too, but just being in Hawaii, it's just so much, it's a smaller place, it's a smaller knit like community, and it's just more welcoming. So when I came here, people already were nice to me, which I was really surprised because on the mainland, I got treated not so good sometimes for the way that I looked. Um, I had, a, I faced a lot of discrimination. So when I came here, I was actually kind of shocked, like, like, okay, like, people are telling me I have beautiful hair and I have beautiful skin like that. I've never heard that before in my life. So yeah. And then just going down to the beach every day and just kind of like almost like, like showing face, like, you know, just being there constantly every single day, people just started to know who I was and just being respectful. Like that's what I tell a lot of people that come to Hawaii. Like if you want people, the locals to be nice to you, you have to show respect to them. You know, you have to be respectful on the beach, you know, don't be throwing your trash over everywhere. Don't be thinking you're entitled and you get this and that. But, you know, just coming here, I was quiet. I was respectful. I listened to the stories that the uncles had to tell me about their life and about surfing. And so, yeah, I just, I felt really welcomed here. And um, I think that encouraged me too, to get out there because people in the lineup are really nice to me too. I, I, I don't remember having any bad experiences, people being like, oh my God, beat it. You suck. Like go surf over there. Like I know that does happen, but luckily for me, it, it didn't. And everyone was really kind. And like you were saying, um, I, some people might get really intimidated, like, oh, you're not that good of a surfer compared to the other people. But in my heart, I know that, and I was raised this way. If you work really hard at something, you know, you can, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be the best at that, you know, as long as you work hard and give it your all and believe in yourself, you know, the sky's the limit. Maybe I might suck now, but the more practice I put in and the more, like I'll practice harder than anyone else out there. Like that's how I was always raised. And that's how I, my mindset always was. Like I said, I might suck now, but just wait a couple months. Like I'm going to be right at your level, if not better. So I knew that I wasn't that good at the beginning, but I was just so determined. I just, I wanted to be so good. So I just kept practicing and practicing and I would go out morning. I would go out in the evening. I would go out as much as I could. You know, the board that you surf on is so long and the way that you have to surf on that board, it's almost like dancing. What mm -hmm. is it that brought you to that type of surfing over, you know, the standard surfing most people would you know, imagine when you said surfing. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple different categories of surfing. You know, you can surf on a short board, which I think most people generally visualize when they think of surfing, you know, they're smaller little boards and it's much more of an aggressive type of surfing. It's more like you're attacking the wave. You're not really surfing alongside it. A long boarding, what I do on my board is nine feet, four inches. Um, most women who compete on the longboard tour with me ride between nine foot boards and nine, six, nine feet, six inches. 
for us, it's more about grace. And like you said, dancing on the board and it's about just being stylish. And um, one of the main moves we do is walking to the very end of the board, to the nose of the board and hanging 10. So that's a, it's a hard skill, but when you master it, it's one of my favorite things because you feel like you're defying gravity to be able to balance on the wave, on your surfboard, but on the very tip of your board, you know, so it's, it's really fun. I really love that. It's just so classic and pretty. And especially for women, I just think it's such a, so beautifully done. Um, yeah. And plus too, in Waikiki where I live, there are so many good longboard women that I actually compete with on the tour. Like there's some of the best longboarders here in Waikiki. So it just kind of makes me want to get on my longboard more just so I can keep up with them and just kind of like try to outdo them if I can. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great to earn rewards on everything you crave, from gourmet to homemade? Now you can with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on dining, takeout, and restaurant delivery, and two times points at grocery stores, grocery delivery, gas stations, EV charging stations, and streaming services. Learn how you can earn 20,000 bonus points, a $200 value, at usbank.com slash Altitude Go when you apply. Live every day your way with the Altitude Go card. Learn more at usbank.com slash Altitude Go. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. Surfing clearly brings out your competitive side. What else do you think you've learned about yourself from surfing or living in Hawaii? Oh, gosh, it's taught me a lot. It's, it's given me so much more confidence, too. Plus, too, like 10 years ago, maybe, it was, it was different. I feel like our country's come a long way, especially now we have the first, like, female vice president that's, like, of color. So back then, there was... There just wasn't as much like representation in a lot of things and it just wasn't as open. So growing up, I just, I always felt out of place. You know, I would always try to make sure my hair was straightened. You know, I never had it curly and poofy. I try to stay out of the sun so I could be as light as possible. But when moving here, people, like I said, it's so much more diverse and people are just more accepting of different cultures and who you are. And people in Hawaii, it's just more that island vibe where it's just more like, slow down, have fun, enjoy your family, enjoy nature. So coming here, I just felt like I could be more free, you know, I could be more open, I could 
be my actual self and not be so worried what other people are thinking about me and not so concerned like I don't look perfect or I, or I don't fit this stereotype like I need to change. So um, I just, I got a lot of confidence moving here and I started to finally feel comfortable in my own skin. You know, I think it's interesting because when you look at surfing magazines, when you look at a lot of ads that are related to surfing, you know, modern competitive and professional surfing is incredibly white presenting, um, especially, especially for a sport created, like you said, by Pacific Islanders and Hawaiians. You know, what does representation in the sport look like these days and what do you think still needs to be done? Well, I definitely think it's changing some. Um, before, like I said, the same thing about me living on the mainland, the same thing about like my social media pages and stuff. I was, I would not speak out at all about like, oh, we need representation. We need more diversity. I was so scared of being blackballed and people and sponsors or, or potential sponsors and people just being like, what are you like? She's like, shut up, be quiet, whatever. Because even on the world tour, there's not that many people that look like me. There are some for sure, but it's pretty much white Caucasian dominated. And uh, I do think things are changing, especially a lot with the, the George Floyd movement and all the protests. I, and for me too, I feel more confident to speak out and to really be like, yeah, we do need to change this. You know, it, it does kind of suck, you know, not feeling like you're represented or not feeling like you're going to get the fair chance. Cause before when I would compete on tour, I literally had to pay everything myself, like me and my mom. And sometimes my boyfriend would help me too. But sometimes I would even choose like, okay, am I going to enter this contest or am I going to be late on rent? You know? And it was just cause no one wanted to sponsor me. No one honestly wanted to someone that looked like me you know they wanted the stereotypical kind of cali blonde skinny blue eyes you know so no one was really like oh we need to have that dark skin girl with the crazy hair on our team but um now i can definitely tell a lot more brands and a lot more social media pages and magazines are starting to show that showcase that and include that um, so I'm really grateful for that. I still think there needs to be a lot more change, especially, like I said, surfing originated from Polynesians and you still don't see, uh, let alone like black skin girls, you still don't see a lot of Polynesian girls really, you know, on covers of magazines and the main focus on a lot of these big name surf brands. I mean, there is some and it's getting better, but I just feel like there just needs to be a, a bigger push. I know a lot of these surf brands like, like Roxy, like Billabong, like Volcom, like it would help too. maybe not even so much having a, like a black girl or Polynesian girl or Asian girl on their team, but even just having models on their website, you know, wearing the bikinis or wearing the clothes because sometimes for people like me, it's like, okay, that bikini looks nice on your skin, you know, the white tone, but will it look nice on me with dark, with darker skin? Like it would just help to see that sort of stuff. So even if we're not like, officially sponsored just even models wearing clothes or it just helps to see yourself reflected in these brands and um this year too i'm really fortunate because billabong actually reached out to me and i'm on their team now they fully sponsored me so now everything's going to be a lot better easier when i do contests you know to finally have that kind of financial backing you know when you mentioned that billabong 
deal, um, you said things are going to get so much easier. And, you know, I think it's so much of it is being like kind of provided those opportunities and, you know, those finances. Yeah. Do you think you're seeing those changes in surf schools and organizations that are kind of starting to teach and train the next generation of surfers? Oh, definitely. I, I feel like there's so many more organizations now that are, or like surf camps, surf things that are, they're so much more inclusive. I grew up in a pretty poor household. I honestly wouldn't have had money to afford like a surf camp, but I know a lot of these organizations now, like Black Girls Surf, I know a lot of these organizations are, you know, reaching out to these kids who don't have the most wealthiest families, you know, or that could ever afford this, you know, just taking them out and surfing. So it, it just helps a lot when these organizations can provide surfboards, maybe not for them to keep, but just to even just like practice on for that session, you know? So I, I do see that a lot more because when I was a kid, I didn't see any of that sort of stuff. But now being over here and just social media wise too, I see what's going on around the world and I see a lot more of that happening, which is really good. And I think that the, the WSL, and the APP stand-up world tour, the, those two that I compete on, I feel like they could do a bigger job, a better job pushing that as well. Like anytime there's a contest, I feel like there should be a day where all the athletes go and they set up some sort of like little organization where all the, the local kids could come and we could take them surfing, you know, stuff like that. I, I feel like those really, really big corporations like the WSL who runs a tour, if they did that sort of stuff, I just think it would help immensely. You know, obviously the last couple months have been different for everyone. And I say last couple and now it's been like nine. So I can't say a couple anymore. But the last year um, has been different. Um, how have you managed to stay on the water, stay surfing um, when you aren't able to compete this year in the same way that you would have been previously? Well, it's actually almost better, honestly. I, I mean, I'm really bummed out with the coronavirus and how it affected everybody but here in Hawaii it made it to the point where like nothing was open at that time I was working on the beach at a surf school but um the beach was closed so my work was kind of closed so I just had more time to surf but yeah I've just been practicing every day for me personally I've been trying to work on new like tricks like techniques like I'm trying to really separate my surfing from the other girls um, especially if I'm going to kind of like be someone paving the way for people that look like me I really want to make like a like a powerful statement in my surfing so I want to be as unique and as different as possible than everyone else so I've been really really trying to push myself to do like just surf like different and better and just more unique god I would give anything to have been quarantined in Hawaii surfing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, to that point, you haven't been able to travel because you haven't been competing. But usually in normal times, um, yeah. what have been some of your favorite places to surf, both in Hawaii and outside of Hawaii? Um, my favorite, favorite place in the entire world, like of all the places I travel to is always Waikiki. It's my home and I feel like this is pretty much where I really first started to learn how to surf and this is where I made like all my friends and then it just has such a rich history with Duke Kahanamoku being here being one of the four founders of surf of modern day surfing and the beach boy culture 
and the waves are just so perfect. The water's really clear. I see turtles all the time. Two weeks ago, I swam with dolphins. And it's just, the waves are just so great for longboarding. So this is just always my favorite place. I always feel so happy when I come back home. Whenever I, like, whenever I travel somewhere and I always come back, I'm always so stoked to surf here. But my second favorite place, I would say, um, would be surfing on Big Island. I really love going to Big Island. It's a lot more laid back and a little bit more country, jungly vibes. Uh, well, at least on the Hilo side of Big Island. And the waves are a little bit more tricky surfing over there. Um, so I like the challenge and I feel like it always just kind of helps me progress and just get used to different waves that I have to surf around the world. Because, because Waikiki is so perfect, I honestly really haven't found another place similar to it. Um, so it's kind of hard getting prepared for contests because when I've surfed in other locations, the waves are usually either like really choppy or really big. So um, when I, whenever I surf Big Island, I kind of feel more prepared to surf other places. But I would say my, my other favorite places outside of the islands, um, it's kind of a toss-up between two. I would have to say Puerto Rico and the Philippines. I really love Puerto Rico, one, because it has that same kind of island vibes. It's like a little more slow-paced, you know. It's really welcoming when I've been there, and it's super tropical. It's super similar to Hawaii. Um, the waves are really nice there, too, um, and the food is so good. I really love Puerto Rican food. And then I got to go to the Philippines this year right before uh, quarantine started in March. I, I went there in February. But I really, really, really love the Philippines. And the people there were just so, so nice and so friendly. I made so many friends, and it just was such positive vibes, and everyone was just so encouraging and the waves were really fun. And it was just such a good experience. So bringing it back home for you for our last question, you know, Hawaii just recently reopened to tourists and now you have to get a COVID test instead of quarantining for 14 days. And I know that that is both a good and a frustrating thing, I'm sure, for a lot of Hawaiians and people who yeah. are living there. Um, what do you hope visitors take away from visiting Hawaii during this time or what attitude do you hope they bring when they come? Well, it's, it's such a touchy subject here in Hawaii with them opening up to visitors because our island is so small and there's about a million people on this island. So when we have little outbreaks or when the virus, like more and people get infected, it just, it hurts us more, you know? Um, compared to bigger states with bigger populations. But at the same time, so many businesses have shut down. So many people are hurt. Local businesses are hurting really bad. So they need the tourists and the economy that they bring. So it's, it's really hard to be like, oh, I, I'm like happy they're here. I'm not happy, you know. So I just hope when the tourists come, they understand that. I hope that they understand that when you do come here, try and be more respectful. Try and be more understanding. You know, there there already is like a, uh, attention from local people to the mainlanders because you know a lot of the history behind Hawaii it's a long story but if people looked it up you know like Hawaii was illegally occupied and taken you know they were never they never fully wanted to join with the U.S. the U.S. just kind of in that time like took the islands so there's already that kind of tension like a lot of people don't really 
like that they're part of the states and so a lot of tourists come here and they just kind of feel entitled or they just kind of bring that mainland attitude here and that's just not really acceptable like when you come here you need to be respectful you need to know that you know you are a visitor to the islands you know so act accordingly you know like I said, pick up your trash. Don't just go to the beach and party and throw your stuff in the ocean. You know, use reef safe sunscreen. Before coronavirus, they were telling us that 30,000 visitors a day land on Oahu. So just imagine, maybe not all 30,000 go to the beach, but maybe like 10,000. So if everyone's using junk sunscreen that's getting in the water, it's destroying the reefs, it's destroying the ecosystem, the fishermen. Like it's just a it just goes on and on and on up the list. So, you know, just make sure you do your research, you know, wear reef safe sunscreen, clean up the beach, be respectful to the people that live here. And when you do come and spend your money, try and spend it on local businesses, you know, try, don't go here and go to McDonald's or Jamba Juice, try and support the local like cafes or the local clothing stores, like that sort of stuff. Like that goes a big way for us, you know? So I would say that, and I would just say, you know, enjoy, be respectful, do your research, learn about the islands, learn what happened. If you're going to go surfing, take a surf lesson. Don't just paddle out there and, you know, be what people would say, like a kook, you know, just take a lesson, be, be respectful in the water too. And just the same thing, you know, when you're driving, don't be driving all fast or you need to get here, here, there, like you're on island time, just relax, you're here, like just enjoy the scenery. So I would just say that, you know, just the main thing, just be respectful. Feels like good rules to live by every exactly. day. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, if people want a dose of what we are seeing on this video as we record this podcast, um, where can they find you on social media? So you can find me at Nika underscore Miller and I spell Nika N-I-Q-U-E underscore Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. I also have a TikTok. It's the same thing. Nika underscore Miller. Um, but yeah, either of those two, I always am posting my surfing or surf videos and I'm always really open to talking to people or giving recommendations. So, so basically your DMs are open. Um, <laughs> yeah, my DMs are open. <laughs> you can find me at Oh Hey There Mare. And you can find me at Lale Hanna. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram at Women Who Travel and subscribe to our newsletter, which will be linked in the show notes as will all of our accounts. Lolly and I are going on break after next week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you know when we come back in 2021. And we'll talk to you for our last episode of the season next week. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshveg talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story, is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions, and they make you see the scene. But every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. 
Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.